and uh, we're going to jump right into the lesson. So if you've got your Bibles, jump to Matthew chapter 5. We're going back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We just finished up a five-week series on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now we're switching back to Jesus. Uh, we've talked about the early life of Jesus a couple months ago, and now we're going to switch gears and go into the teaching of Jesus, uh, several of his uh, teachings. And to kind of put this in perspective, I want to make sure we recognize why Jesus came to earth. And I, you know, the Sunday school answer is to save me, and, and that's nice. But the real answer is to reconcile all things back to God. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, everything's great. Everything is reconciled. God and the earth have a great relationship, and man is in there. He's got a great relationship. Genesis 3, it all falls apart. Um, I heard somebody say this week, do you know what you have if you take sin out of the Bible? A pamphlet, right? You have Genesis 1, 2, and a couple verses in Revelation. You've got a nice pamphlet, but the story still exists. You okay? You're like bright, okay, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, all right, cool. So, so you still have the story. You still have God interacting with man. So when we see Jesus interacting with people, keep in the back of your head that the lens that we're going to filter this with is that he is after reconciliation. He is pursuing reconciliation. And some of the things that he describes to people around him don't make any sense because we try to put that in the context of the world that we live in now. And it's really in the context of the world that he is, he is going to create one day. Okay? So make sure we, we kind of keep that perspective as we go through. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is the lesson for today, not next week. Next week is... Wow, that was weak. Next week is... Woohoo! There we go. And then we'll be back the week after uh, in here, finishing up the second half of the Sermon on the Mount. So the fact that we'll be back in here in two weeks needs me to tell a couple people some things. Uh, if I could have... Uh, oh, she's already standing. That's awesome. Just hang on. Hang tight. Mark, stand up. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> three years and I still hadn't got it right, buddy. Um, there are several of you that are going to be going to the Saudi Daisy campus. And I say, praise the Lord, fantastic. We are pumped and excited about that. And there are several of you that have poured your hearts and your lives into this class. Uh, and I just want to point out Mark and Brittany Hamby, they have taken care of breakfast for us for several years. And uh, if you go, if you go, get busy. Don't go to sit. Go to serve. So thank you guys. I appreciate what you have done. Um, so in two weeks, we'll be back in here talking about the second half of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, if you've ever read the New Testament, is kind of like the, the pinnacle teaching of Jesus, right? It's just all this stuff. It's three chapters. I'm over here, guys. Ooh, there we go. Cool. It's all this, if you move away from the activity in the room, sometimes you get people's attention, sometimes you don't. So I'll stand in this corner for a minute. Is that cool? The breakfast bag today. That is awesome. That is awesome. So, so we have this teaching of Jesus, this Sermon on the Mount, and it is expansive. I mean, it covers a lot of stuff. And we know that Jesus would draw these large crowds. He would speak and people would come and they would listen to him for how long? Just hours and hours and hours, all day long they would be out there. They would be out in the middle of nowhere with him so long that he would have to feed them, which created a problem that he solved, which you've got to love that because Jesus creates problems that he can solve. It's beautiful. 
But if you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the whole context, the whole Sermon on the Mount, if you read it out loud, it takes about 15 minutes. So either he was a slow talker, or this is not the full text of everything that he said. Okay? Now, for some of you, this is going to be like, what? There's stuff that Jesus said that wasn't in the Bible? Yeah, because he would have had not a lot to say if that was everything that he said, right? At the end of one of the Gospels, it says, if I'd have written everything down that he did, the, the world itself could not contain all the books that would have been written. Well, now, he was only really active for about three years, and you said the, the world couldn't contain all the books? He was really, really active. This is what most theologians think is a sampling, the condensation of a lot of his teachings into a very short amount of text. So say all that to say, there's a ton of stuff here, okay? A ton of stuff here. We're going to kind of skim the surface as we go through. So, today's portion, Matthew 5, 1 through Matthew 6, 4, I've kind of divided up into three different parts, um, and I want to make sure we see those. First is the Beatitudes, and I'm not going to go into as much detail on the Beatitudes, because last year in June, I taught eight weeks on the Beatitudes, these 12 verses. So, there's a lot of stuff out there about that. This next few verses... Uh, verses 13 through 20, he talks about sight and, salt and light, and he sets up what he's about to do for the rest of uh, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. He puts it in context. This is what I am doing. And then the last half of what we'll talk about is a little bit of, so you've heard it said, but now I say to you. Okay? So that's where we're going today. So what does it say? Well... Matthew 5, verse 1. Who's got it? Anybody? He went to where? A mountain. Now, there are people that will tell you the Sermon on the Mount, and I put it in quotes. It's air quotes for those of you on the podcast. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is, you have to do that because they can't see the, the quotes, okay? It doesn't work that way. Um, the Sermon on the Mount in Luke 6 actually happens on a, anybody know? Bible trivia question of the day. Happens on a plane. Not like they're flying, you know, like a flat place. Okay. So Luke 6 looks a lot like Matthew 5, 6, and 7 context-wise, but they happen in two different places. So if they happen in two different places, what does that tell us about Jesus and his sermons? He recycled. Yes. He did. He recycled. He did what a lot of preachers do today. You find a little message that this really, really resonates. It really works. Now, obviously, anything that Jesus said would have really worked. Right? I mean, it just, how cool would that be? Right? I mean, he spent years and years and years studying the Old Testament as a man and then got these brilliant expositions of all these things. Am I rattling a little bit? Is that better? Okay, cool. So, so this happens on a mountain. So I'll pick up from there, Justin. Thank you. And when he was seated, so let's just practice real quick. We're going to practice this. I'm the teacher. I'm going to sit down. Oh, that was nice. Now, uh, hello. Do your part. There you go. So this, this is how it would have sounded to the disciples and to anybody else that was within earshot. You stood up 
while the rabbi talked. <laughs> I have a beard. That's close enough, right? No, now I'm not going to make y'all do that because one, in two weeks we'd have like six people for Sunday school, right? Those of you that that weren't here and didn't know I was going to make you stand the whole time, right? Okay, so he's seated. Everybody else is standing. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, "Blessed are the poor." Boy, he starts with a bang, doesn't he? I mean, just right off the bat. We're just, just riveting stuff. Now, the Jews were looking for their Messiah, and they thought that when their Messiah came, he was going to be what? He's going to be this king that ushers in this new rule. He's going to throw off the Roman Empire, because the Romans were oppressive at this time. They're going to throw off the Roman Empire. We're going to be in charge. He's going to set up his kingdom, and we are going to kick some Roman... Right. And... Jesus starts off with, blessed are the poor. What? Right? So, so where's he going with this? Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't care about the kingdom of heaven. I want a kingdom here right now, because I live here right now. This is what his audience is thinking at this point. So this miss. I thought you were going here, but you're really going here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I want you to watch the verb tenses in these, because the, the mourn is a present tense. So I am mourning right now, and the comfort is going to come later. And a lot of times we think that, that while we are mourning, comfort comes then. And that's not necessarily the way this works in God's economy. The, the present investment sometimes actually has a future reward. Sometimes the present investment has a present reward, but sometimes it's a future reward. Sometimes the mourning is mourning. You know, it's, it's not always just beautiful, but he did put us here in the body of Christ so that we could mourn together. So when there is a loss, we have a family. And this, to me, is one of the critical reasons for being a part of a church family is that so when the morning days come, you've already got a family, right? It's not a, I have to go search for somebody to feel what I feel. It's, no, I've, I'm already present and doing life with somebody that's, that understands me in this situation. Does that make sense? You're all looking at me like, uh, okay, move on. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. Uh, this word's translated gentle in other uh, places in the New Testament. For they shall inherit the earth. Now, when we went through this series, Dave Barber taught a Sunday school lesson on this, on the meekness, and he talked about it being strength under control, and he did something in class that I would never, ever even attempt to do. What did he do in class? Bam! He's like a third degree something, something, something. I don't know, like karate or taekwondo. I think it's taekwondo, right? Does anybody know? I think it's taekwondo. Yeah, oh, there he is. Cool. I totally did not see you. Dang, that's awesome. That's why you always watch what you say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Taekwondo, and you broke what? Those, what's that? Eight inches of concrete. You just ate, yeah. No, just ate. I'd have broken however many bones are in my hand is what I'd have broken. And, and it's strength under control. Uh, and he, made a he said a phrase here, and I wrote it all down when he said it. Uh, he said, uh, medicine taken in the proper dosage can be helpful but an overdose can kill. A domesticated horse is useful, but an undomesticated one is destructive, and a gentle breeze cools and soothes, but a tornado can kill. 
right? So strength out of control is, is a mess, all kinds of stuff. But under control, focused, a great deal can be done. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger. This is crave with desire. Um, wh- what did we bring for breakfast this morning? Hardee's? Hardee's is some dang good biscuits, okay? I mean, there, are, there are days, I do not drive past a Hardee's on my way to work, but there are days when I am craving a Hardee's biscuit. So what do I do on, the, on those days when I am craving a Hardee's biscuit? I go out of my dang way, that's right. And I'm going to go get a Hardee's biscuit because that chicken biscuit, I don't want that spicy stuff. Y'all spicy folk people, you're weird. Just get me the regular old chicken bit. Oh, man. I got, I'm going to start craving one now. we cut Sunday school short and go get a Hardee's biscuit here. Those who crave and thirst for what? For righteousness. For righteousness. As bad as I want that Hardee's biscuit sometimes, do I want to be righteous that much? I'll, I'll pull that question back, right? For they shall be what? Filled. Now, remember when we talked about creation. Genesis 1, God creates what? What's the first thing he created? Heavens and the earth. And were they full or empty when he created them? They were empty. And successive days, what did he do? He filled it up. 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 And what did he tell man to do? Participate with me in this creation and fill the rest of the earth. Right? Get involved, get engaged, because we are fully reconciled, and I want you doing what I am doing, and I want to be doing, showing you, I have demonstrated for you this creation. And we get to 4,000 some odd years later, and man has an emptiness, because we did not do what we were supposed to do. We did not, we were not reconciled with God. So Jesus comes to reconcile us, and he tells us that we're going to be filled. God's design is for us to experience joy and fullness, to be reconciled with him and to experience this filling. Does this make sense? Does this resonate? All this is connected, right? The Genesis is not disconnected from Matthew. They're very, very tightly connected. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain or experience mercy. If you want to obtain it, show it. 8, blessed are the pure, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, does anybody know what Titus 1.15 says? I learned this verse through a song. Um, it says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled, unbelieving, nothing is pure. Right? Even their mind and their conscience is defiled. So w- when you hear something that can be interpreted like two or three different ways, which way does your brain go first? that's telling us where our heart is, right? Because to the pure, when you hear something, oh, that's, that's fantastic news, right? That's awesome. And to the defiled, oh, it's, it's defiled. Because our brain it generally goes to, what did they just say? Oh, okay, that's funny. Yeah, that's great. And, and we see an example of this here. So our, uh, our heart will interpret how we perceive reality. Our heart will interpret how we perceive reality. And since we have a corrupt heart, we perceive reality incorrectly, which is a real problem. But a pure heart does what? A pure heart sees what? The text, what does the text say? A pure heart sees what? See, thank you. A pure heart sees God. Because a pure heart looks at a situation and goes, yep, God can, he can do this. 
He can intercede here. He is still present here. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, a lot of people read this and they go, oh, the peacemakers, that's fantastic. You know, there's a peaceful situation. You come in and you make sure that it stays peaceful. So you, you water it and you feed it and you pet it and you love it and you watch it stay the same. And is that what this verse says? No. You walk into a mess because that's what we live in, right? A mess. And you make peace. Peacemakers are people who make peace. They go and they intercede. They get their hands dirty. They get their hands bloody because the world is a mess. And this is going to sound really harsh, and I say this with all the love that I can muster. But if you call yourself a Christian and you are not willing, let me rephrase that, back up, scratch that. If we call ourselves Christians and we are not willing to get our hands bloody, then we are not engaged in peacemaking. Who was the ultimate, ultimate example of peacemaking? Jesus. Did he get his hands dirty? Yeah. He got a lot dirty. It killed him. To make this peace, it killed him. This is hard. But you know, the joy and the hope on the other side of this peace is unbelievable. Have you, has anybody ever been involved in, I go into a situation, it's a complete and total mess, and we brought peace into this situation. The joy on the other side of that is, yeah, this was awesome. Man, it's this rush of we did something that reflects the nature and glory of God. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So, verse 10. Blessed are those who are, what does it say? Persecuted. One of the coolest Sunday school lessons I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, For righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs what? What's the verb tense? Now. Right now. In the middle of the persecution, you are experiencing the kingdom of heaven. And we go, how do you explain that? I don't know. There's like two big paragraphs in this whole Sermon on the Mount of this first half that I have no clue how to interpret. Okay, This is kind of, sort of, part of one, but... This is a tough one. Verse 11, blessed are they when they revile or to shame you and persecute you and say all sorts of evil. This is speech that causes pain, things against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. The root word here means to leap much, to leap, to jump up in the air because this is persecution. Persecution. Give me a P. Give me an E. Really? Leap much. You see how this is just completely backward? And they were looking for a ruler, somebody to overthrow the Romans. And he said, be happy and leap in your persecution. I don't think he's going where we thought he was going. Right? And this is just the introduction. They really got to like the meat of the whole thing. So the theme of the Beatitudes, these first 12 verses for me, is one of active, current engagement. This is not a passive thing. This is we are being active. That results in a... Pre- I'm, the leaping? I'm out of breath now from the leaping. 
So those of you that have been on my case to sign up for this 5K thing, get off it, okay? I ain't doing the one while fun walk either, because walking a mile is not fun, all right? Okay. This is sad. I'm out of breath, isn't it? <laughs> David's like, that's why you need to start walking, right? That's, that makes sense. So the theme of the Beatitudes for me is one of active current engagement that results in a present happiness and a future hope. A future hope. Okay? So now we shift gears a little bit. So you set the stage. The stage is we're not going where you think I was going. Right? So now we're going to talk about salt and light and setup. So you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and be trampled underfoot by men. There was a specific kind of salt in this area in this day. Very weak salt. And if they didn't store it in the right place, if you stored it next to the ground, moisture would get in it and it would ruin it. It's just no good. Have you ever had wet salt? Right, it's just nasty to even think about, right? Doesn't work. Doesn't, doesn't work. So they would, they would have to throw it away. Well, you don't throw salt in your field. Right? The Romans did this to lands that they had conquered sometimes, and they ruined the ground for hundreds of years. I mean, you just, you just destroy the earth this way. It's awful. So what they would use this for, since they were in, those in Jerusalem would use it, they'd take it to the temple, and on rainy days, they would spread this on the rocks of the temple so that when the priests were walking around, they wouldn't slip. It was the only thing it was good for, to be trodden, under the feet of men. It could still be used for something, but not what it was intended to be used for. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Now you notice he said you are the salt and you are the light. Right? We, we don't become the salt after some period of time in our Christianity. Boy, he's really turning into salt and light, isn't he? No, you are salt, you are light. That's the way that works. The light of the world. Verse 14, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp, not a candle. The word, if the word candle shows up in your translation, you can like scratch it out. Right? Lamp. There were no candles in the New Testament time. They, they didn't know about candles at that point. They knew about lamps. And put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so, in this manner, publicly shine before men, that they may see your good, Another word he translates this word good is beautiful, handsome, excellent, choice, surpassing, precious, useful, suitable, commendable, admirable. You get the idea here? These are good works. So what is work? Work is your business. It's the blank. Your business. I heard a great story this week about uh, somebody who, who came to their pastor and said, you know, pastor, I'm, I, don't, I think I need to be in like full-time church work because I'm getting really discouraged with going to work every day. And the pastor's thinking to himself, he's going, you're, you're telling me that you engage into a community where people know you, and, and, and you know them, and you, you, you're engaged in their lives, and, and they're going to talk to you about what's going on in their lives, people that I could never, ever reach. And, and you want to get out of that and go do something that's, that's ministry? we're doing ministry, right? We're, we're missionaries, we just don't get paid. We're paying our own way. You can write that down. We're, we're paying our own way, okay? That's, this is what we do. This is what we do. This is about our work. 
and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, when, uh, I'm just going to read this out. It said, this is from the fourfold gospel in the commentaries I read this week. It said, men do not praise the street lamps which protect them from robbery and assault. Right? We don't go, that's an awesome street lamp. That street lamp is the greatest street lamp ever. It keeps me safe. It's fantastic. No, we, they praise the municipal administration which furnishes the lamps. Right? The source. So they see our works and they, they recognize this is not from you because I know Jim and he can't do that. Right? Something else is working through Jim to accomplish this thing. So salt and light. And here's the setup. And this is big. Verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law. Another word, does anybody have a different word for destroy in your, in your translation? Abolish. Anybody else? Demolish. Anybody else? Better translation. You ready? My tennis shoe? Sorry. I'm sitting over here. Mm. Um, so, my tennis shoe. The word here? Oh, dang it. <laughs> Please stand by. Nothing like being ready for an example that you thought of, right? There we go. The word here is to loosen. Just a little bit. Just, just loosen. Now, how many of you have kids? How many of you have learned at this point not to buy shoes with laces? Yes. Why? Turn to find those shoes, right? Just never-ending battle. It, many of you have heard me describe the scriptures as a piece of fabric, right? And this fabric is, is how everything ties together, pun intended. Um, so everything, it was awful. Nobody even cracked a smile, but it's okay. So everything ties together, right? Truth ties together. And people looked at Jesus as teaching, and they thought, well, you're just, you're just, you're undoing this. And that's not what he's doing at all. He did not come to loosen the scriptures. What does it say? But I came to fulfill. What did he come to do? Well, your scripture doesn't fit very well right there. This is how it fits better. You need to take in a little here. You need to let out a little here. This needs to be a little bit longer. This needs to be a little shorter. Boy, if, you know, if you move this over here, that would be just now it fits. Paul talks about this, right? This rightly dividing the word, this taking one piece and another piece and making sure that they line up evenly. This... You guys that are in this sewing thing, y'all really got to get together and write some curriculum around all the sewing imagery in the scripture. I think there's something there. Good stuff. Verse 18. For surely, some of you are really bothered that I hadn't put my shoe back on at this point. It's okay. It really is. For surely, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot, the Greek word's iota, it's the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet, or one tittle, really goofy English word. Um, it mean, you know the difference between a C and an E? The difference between a C and an E is a tittle. It's like a tiny little mark that distinguishes one letter from another. Okay? It's very, very small things here. Will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks or loosens one of these smaller commandments and teaches men so, who shall be, shall be called least or small in the kingdom of heaven? But whoever does and teaches them, you know that practice comes before teaching, 
He shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes, Greek word here is grammateus. Um, Mark, grammateus. What English word does that sound remarkably similar to that I would possibly be asking you about? Grammar, there we go. Fantastic. See, Justin, it's that easy. You just tee it up and you just swing. It's awesome. <laughs> I love you, man. Yeah, grammar. These are guys that knew the grammar. I mean, they were experts in this. So you've got to not only know it, but do it better than them. Or you will no bonds, or you or you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, please be very careful and understand that Jesus is not saying the Old Testament was wrong, and I'm teaching something totally opposite. That is not what he is saying. David Gazik had a great sentence on this. He said, In this section, it isn't Jesus against Moses, it's Jesus against false and superficial interpretations of Moses. Right? Because what we like to do is we like to go, ooh, I found something that I believe, so I'm going to protect it. I'm going to build walls around it so that you can't come close to challenging this concept. So things like, now we intentionalize it here, verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Okay, that's, it doesn't undo, right? But it cleans it up. It tightens it up. Now it fits in a whole different way. I would actually say it fits a lot snugger, <laughs> right? Because before, you just couldn't cap him in the head. Now, now you can't think about capping him in the head. You can Google cap you in the head if you're not sure what that is. It's my my youth slang for the day. There you go. Cool. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. I love these girls. They are awesome. They have ministered so much to my family and I, so I can mess with them every once in a while. Uh, can I be angry at you and you not know it? I can, can I? I'm not, by the way. I just... <laughs> I, I'm looking at half a dozen people going, really? He's angry? Like, not at all. Not at all. I, it's really cool and all that. But this is like internal criticism. Okay? That blank there. This is internal criticism. This angry at you without a cause. I don't have a reason for this. Shall be in danger of the judgment. This is the judgment by the local city courts. And whoever says to his brother, Raka. And we look at that and we go, what's the footnote say? <laughs> right? No, it was a joke, sorry. I mean, the footnote's probably good. Wow, y'all just, that was fantastically wonderful because it had 50 heads that instantly went down. Raka, this is like saying you have nothing in your head, okay? So you have rocks in your brain. That's my English translation. It's as good as I can do. This is an empty-headed one, right? So, so the first is just I'm angry at Adam. And the second is Adam has no sense, which I know is not true because he's, like 30 or 40 IQ points and better than him. It's just amazing how intelligent the man is. But the second is a criticism of the intellect. A criticism of the intellect. He's shaking his head, but he really is. He shall be in danger of the council. And this is the Jewish Sanhedrin. This is like, this would be the equivalent of the uh, Supreme Court for us in America today. This was the top dogs as far as law is concerned. And he goes to another level. He says, but whoever says, 
is Mr. T in the New Testament. You fool! <laughs> you fool! Now, this is a whole other level. This is, yes, I went there. You knew I was going through, didn't you? You, you saw it coming, didn't you? So this is a, a criticism of, of the heart or the character. So this is a judgment call about something that you can't really see. Now, my foot's getting cold, so I'm going to put my shoe back on. So this is a judgment call. So the judgment call gets you what? What's the next part of the verse say? Hellfire. Whoa. Okay. So hating you gets you local judgment. Calling you empty-headed gets you like Supreme Court judgment. And judging your intentions gets you... Man, he does not leave us much wiggle room here. This is really frustrating, right? This is really frustrating. Verse 23, therefore, so this is connected to the previous verses. Verses 23 through 26 all are one big long example. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly. So when you go to him, agree with him about what you did wrong. Oh, we don't like to do that. And if we do, we like to wait several weeks or months or years until we do. Right, I do. While you were on your way with him, this is on the way to the judge, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you'll be thrown into the prison. Surely I say to you, you will no mind... No means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So we see this just awfulness, right? Because of reconciliation did not occur. So Jesus starts to, starts to use examples now that talk about this reconciliation. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said of those to old, you shall not commit adultery. This adultery is sex with anybody other than your spouse. 28, but I said to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Well, that was both clear and difficult, wasn't it? I get people asking me sometimes, what do you think that means? <laughs> if you look at her, you have committed adultery in your heart. Some things I don't think need a lot of explanation, but apparently so, you know. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, this is a neat word here, the stumbling block, a snare, or a trap. Okay? There's something going on here that has to be stopped because it is going to cause irreparable harm. Think about your body. Are there, are there uh, I don't know how to say this awkwardly here, are there parts of your body that you can do without? Yes. What would one of those parts be? Oh, whatever that little dangly thing down in there is. You ain't got to have that. You ain't got to have that. What's that? I heard somebody else say another one. Your appendix. I had my appendix taken out when I was about nine years old. And if I had not had my... Thank you. I appreciate that. And if I had not had my appendix taken out when it got inflamed and infected, what would have happened? I would have died. You would not have known me. Somebody else would have been teaching this class. Terry Bolden would be teaching this class today. He'd be like, he'd be like I love Jesus. <laughs> love you, man. Love you, man. That was wrong, wasn't it? That was wrong, I know. That was... <laughs> I got nothing. So the idea, let's switch the gears back to application real quick. The idea is that some things have to be dealt with or they will kill you. 
right? I mean, some things have to be dealt with or they will kill you. This is the idea here. So I'm going to skip the section on marriage and to skip the section on oaths. Those are the two sections that I read and read and read. I probably read 200 pages of commentary. I still don't have a clue. I got nothing. I just show you my cards. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Verse 38. We'll talk about haters here for a second. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, I come up and just slap you in the face. How are you going to feel about that, Doug? I better be ready. <laughs> Doug's in the military. You could, he would probably kill me before I hit the ground. Okay? That's just how long that would take. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, this slapping of the cheek was a cultural insult. This is not a beatdown. This is not somebody's got you down in the corner and they're just waylaying on you. This is a cultural insult here. Verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, your undergarment, let him have your cloak, your outer garment also. This is an example of legal injustice, right? So we've got somebody taking you to court over something that they're wrong about. Verse 41, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. So the Roman guards, the Roman soldiers could say, you've got to carry my pack for one mile. And it was law. It was legal, totally legal. And they, you couldn't do anything about it. You could just be compelled into service. And Jesus is saying, go with them too. Really. This is government oppression. This is not what we are under today. Okay? No matter what you think of the current administration, this is not government oppression. Government oppression is the military comes up to you and makes you do something for them that they really should be doing on their own. That is oppression. Two different levels there. So then we get to the love section. Verse 43, love your neighbor. And you've heard it said, hate your enemy. And that's not what the Old Testament actually said. It actually said, love to all. So, Matthew chapter 6, and we're done. Take heed that you do, your, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Later on in this, in this uh, passage, those first four verses, it talks about uh, because you'll get your reward. The word for get yours is the word for receipt. Now, how many of you use email? Use email, that's cool. So when you send an email to somebody and they read it, what do sometimes you get back? A read receipt, right? Everything, I've, I've read that. i got this little, what is that good for? Let you know they got it, right? How long is it good for? Does it help you three weeks later? It can, right? It can help you. Is that the substance, though? No. It, it can help. It can be an encourager. It, it can help you know, but that's not the goal. The goal of the email was not to get the read receipt. The goal of the email is either to convey information to get somebody to do something. But sometimes we make the read receipt the whole thing. Does that make sense? Okay, quickly, with our application, and we're done. So what's the point? Well, we, internal righteousness is required, all this stuff on the inside. External righteousness is required, and we can't do these self-exalting images of righteousness, this chapter 6 part. None of, that's, none of that's okay. So what do I do with that? Well, recognize that I cannot live this perfectly. Recognize that Jesus can, and then let Jesus. Right? Let him do it, because we can't. And when we try, we mess it up. That's where we're at. Cool. All right. Next week, EAC following week, we're back in here. For those of you that this is the last Sunday school class that you'll hear me teach, thank you so much for being here. It has been my honor to teach you. I hope you get plugged in at Saudi, 
And uh, you never know, I might come visit every once in a while.